Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice and macro research on today's shifting economic and market landscape. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode in our Beyond Markets podcast series. My name is Kelly and I am the Deputy Head of Research Asia here in Singapore. Today, I'm really happy to be joined by our external guest, Kong Leong, who is the Regional CEO, Southeast Asia and Australasia at the Shangri-La Group. Welcome, Kong Leong. Good morning, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Really good to see you here today. Today, we are talking about the hospitality industry, how you've been dealing with stuff. Let's talk a little bit about the overall health of the industry, right? COVID's structural changes, how has it permanently, potentially changed the way in which you do stuff? What aspect of hospitality has been greatly impacted, but has, none of it has gone back to normal, actually? The greatest impact COVID has on the hospitality industry is on the room's occupancy levels. There are key three drivers. One, substantial closure of international borders. Two, severe reduction in flight capacities. And three, repeated cycles of off and on restrictions imposed by the governments. Room occupancies have yet gone back to normal. On certain weekends, the occupancy level could even exceed pre-COVID level. The weekdays' occupancies are still low because of limited international business and leisure guests. I was just at your hotel in Rasa Sentosa. Yeah. And indeed, it was very, very crowded. Sort of like agree that, you know, on weekends, it really can be quite over capacity. I hope you have enjoyed yourself. But I think there are some positive developments here. Uh, more countries are now opening the borders for fully vaccinated travellers without requirement for quarantine. Airlines are now resuming more flights, at least to key gateway cities. And with high vaccination rates and Omicron variant appearing less virulent, governments that have moved to endemic stage are no longer imposing the sudden downs of restrictions, even when the cases are relatively high. You said just now, right, that off-peak during non-weekends, non-school holidays, you said that occupancy is really, really low. And it comes back to the same question, how are we going to bring it back to that pre-COVID levels? Because business travellers and Chinese travellers I don't know, it doesn't seem like they're going to come back that soon. How will hotels in general cover this gap? Or is it just really difficult to cover this gap? Well, there is really no simple solution here. While the hotels in China are doing well because of captive market, hotels outside China that were heavily dependent on the Chinese travellers will continue to be challenged in 2022. But I'm a firm believer of opportunities in crisis. When COVID first struck us in early 2020, we saw occupancies plunge to all-time lows. To stay afloat, we had to navigate through each and every new government restriction and find opportunities to do some business safely. The learning curves are obviously steep and we make mistakes along the way. But when we finally learned to laugh at the mistakes we make, we got wrong to learning from them and we became better. As an industry, I think we are a lot stronger in our ability to market direct to end consumers today. We're a lot more creative and resourceful. As necessitated by the survival skills training, harnessed over the last two years. As difficult as it might be to completely cover the huge gap from China, we can certainly mitigate the gaps by putting a lot more efforts into developing new source markets and expand our range of offerings to other non-China guests. Non-China guests. Maybe you could expand a little bit, you know, would this be just regional travellers or local travellers? Because in Singapore, 
probably just lots of staycations. But in other areas around here where they can travel inter-country where it's much larger, how is that looking like? Hospitality industry at the end of the day has to serve international guests. There's just a finite amount of domestic guests that you can serve. That's a sort of like important aspect to take note of. At the end of the day, international guests really are the ones that fill up hotel rooms. Moving on to a little bit on, we talked about business travelers and Chinese travelers. I'm going to focus a little bit more on vacations, all right? In a recent Booking.com survey, quite a lot surveyed actually, primarily because it's a, well, a term, a, um, you know, a well-used online booking platform, 24,000 people surveyed. Of these 24,000, 59% of them would opt for a shorter vacation if it means that they can completely switch off from work instead of working remotely while on vacation. I have no idea who wants to do that, okay? Working while on vacation, um, maybe that's the problem of this work from home thing, right? There's just, the lines are completely blurred. You think this is a good thing or a bad thing for the industry, meaning that people going for shorter vacations or versus, you know, much longer ones? <laughs> well, at this point where we are speaking, any kinds of business is good for the industry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Many people were able to enjoy short vacations or staycation without burning long leaves with the rise of work from home and e-schooling. In the past two years, operators and hotelers with properties in a variety of categories has tried to capitalize and rely on this trend to generate revenue. COVID-related restrictions are impacting long-distance travel at this point, and people have rediscovered the benefits of short vacations, road trips, explore different places which were previously overlooked in their own backyards. Their benefits are shorter vacations because they're cheaper, they're more environmentally friendly, and less complicated than regular long-haul holidays, which require trouble of booking flight, train tickets, and logistic planning, and doing true, all true. your COVID tests. Yeah. So I think there are benefits in terms of short trips for travellers, but I think as a staycation, as a segment, many of us in the industry had to rely on it as a means of survival during this pandemic. There's potential for it to grow into a long-term opportunity to hotels due to this shift in travel behaviour. It can help to offset seasonality by increasing occupancy in resort destinations during the off-season and at city hotels on weekends. But shorter vacations obviously comes with some trade-offs. They're associated with shorter booking time. They are with challenges to overcome. There are some of them. For example, higher turnaround rooms require more labour, more costs. Yeah. There's also increased competition. But the greatest challenge, of course, in Singapore, especially, is the need for more manpower to turn around rooms. Yeah. And in markets like this, where we are challenging this on labour, you will lead to either a short-term or even a longer-term increase in structural costs. When I did my staycations, also at Rasa, it's one of my, our favourite hotels, yeah, they had actually difficulties fulfilling the um, check-in times. They say, I'm sorry, we'll give you some complimentary drinks at the bar. And so it's true that this is challenging, especially with the limitations in labor in which the hotels are having. How about forward booking trends then? Is there anywhere that you are very enthusiastic that looks getting up to be pretty rosy? Which or are there those in which you think should be doing better or actually weaker than expected? Since the onset of COVID, the lead time for booking has shortened significantly. Previously were months, now current weeks. Previously were weeks, now current days. But until recently, rules were being changed frequently. Restrictions and lockdowns were being imposed abruptly. It was simply impossible to plan too far ahead with any form of certainty. And even visits by government delegations today are always on short notices anyway. Across many markets, we are seeing this significant transition to gradual easing of restrictions that were accumulated over the last two years. In tandem with the country's gradual opening of borders, there are a lot more inquiries for the second half of this year across all markets. 
we are hopeful that the general sentiment of less uncertainties will allow confidence to plan and book ahead. And for non-leisure travels, we think government delegations, senior management, professionals involved in infrastructure projects will be the first group of business travellers to return. And as such, capital cities will lead the way in terms of this recovery. Sort of like the capital cities of the region, you're saying, right? Oh, I see. Okay. That's interesting. Hopefully, well, they can, since they're already overseas, that they will be able to extend their stay a little bit. Now, at the end of the day, government officials and the lights still possibly uh, still require a little short break. Let's talk a little bit about demographics here, okay? So you and I, are, both of us are clearly not a millennial. But if we were millennials, right? Born between 1981 to 1996. The thing is, why would I stay at a Shangri-La? Because sometimes if you think about it, I know that there is a pivot to families. But, you know, if I was a millennial, I was single or I'm traveling with my friends. How do you attract this slice of, this segment of uh, stayers? Maybe I can use Shangri-La Singapore as an example. I know when one thinks of Shangri-La Singapore, what immediately comes to mind is the head of state visits to Singapore and all the high port business events and delegations. We had the honor of hosting many of such visits, events and delegations. And we enjoy a strong reputation as among the best business hotels in Singapore and the region. But our shift from a pure business hotel to one catering to millennial families with young children started back in 2016 when our current chair, Lady Miss Hui Kwok, was steering the upgrading of Shangri-La Singapore. She saw there was an increasing trend of senior execs bring the family on work trips and decided on a strategy to strengthen the hotel's offering for families. We put in dedicated family floor, team suites, highly engaging indoor playground, exciting outdoor water playground, cooking studio for young children, family sitting area in all-day dining, and a series of family-focused programming to keep the children entertained offer opportunities for parent-child bonding. Though no one could have anticipated this pandemic, the decision back in 2016 certainly put us to be in a position to tap the Benalia staycation market throughout this period. The millennial segment is an important segment to us, not just at Shangri-La, Singapore, but also in the other portfolio hotels, especially when we talk about Rasa Sentosa in Singapore. And I think that decision was good. This is the reason why I guess I keep going back to Rasa. It does feel like a place where the whole family can sort of like enjoy together, right? Rather be in very, uh, very a uh, business-like kind of situation. We spoke a little bit about cost just now. We didn't really cover it very well. But I do notice when I do bookings on you know, booking.com, the first filter in which I put on is free cancellation or no prepayment. So how does that work, right, in terms of your cost? Basically, I book with you and sometimes I do double bookings for the same dates because I'm trying to see which ones that I want. How is that impacting the hospitality industry in terms of costs? I think looking at how the cancellation policies have evolved is a great example to illustrate the changes COVID has brought upon the industry and how the industry has evolved. Like the airlines, the hotel industry has a very structured pricing system. Essentially, non-cancellable bookings are cheaper. When COVID first struck, it was relatively a simple decision for hotels. Borders are shut, travellers can't travel. So regardless of whether the booking was cancellable or not, hotels allowed guests to cancel or change the date. The next phase came, when some borders could still be open, there were genuine concerns as community cases surged. It was still a relatively easy decision for hotels as to what to do with non-cancellable bookings, wanting to cancel or rebook. We are now in my mind, in the third phase. Borders are open. While cases are high, the concerns over COVID have subsided significantly. 
many people are going about with their lives as normal as it could be. What do we do when a non-cancellable booking now asks for cancellation? As of course, insofar as the overall demand is low and there's no real opportunity cost, the cost is still manageable. However, as demand picks up and opportunity cost for no-show booking comes out, I think the shift to pre-COVID norms will start to happen. So I better be careful. Uh, when <laughs> don't double book. But, don't, but don't if double. you do double book, please turn out at a hotel. Yeah. I know it's making things difficult for the hotel industry, but I think that's how it's going to be. How it's hard for people to plan. And many insurance companies don't exactly want to cover you, especially if there are sudden cancellations. So I think this is definitely an evolving policy on your front. Well, one of the things in which I guess you as with oversight with so many hotels at such a senior position, right? Can you just share, just on a personal basis, the biggest thing or the most important thing that you should have done at the start of COVID but didn't do? Or something in which you were happy that you pushed through even though there was a lot of pushbacks against? I think we can all agree that for anyone in this industry, COVID is by far the greatest challenge anyone has had to deal with in his or her entire career. For the past two years were frankly like non-stop roller coaster rides. If I had to describe the experience in one word, it would simply be breathtaking. Breathtaking, wow. <laughs> okay, not on top of a mountain. Uh, yeah. huh? <laughs> as I reflected the past two years, there were many memorable moments, like how I was deeply touched by the dedication of frontline colleagues who despite concerns over their own safety, continued in the lines of duty to care for our guests, how I was inspired by colleagues who despite failing repeatedly, kept trying and eventually overcame the odds and how I had to master every ounce of conviction and courage I could find deep in my inner strength to decide on right-sizing the team. What I should have done but didn't do? I think I should have rigorously documented the key events that have taught me valuable lessons and helped me understand myself a lot better as a person and as a leader. It would be a real pity years later with fading memory. All I could recall for this period was on the non-stop roller coaster rides, Everyone was just screaming. <laughs> screaming, well, sounds like my kids. But anyway, you talked a little bit about right-sizing just now. I'm going to come back to the cost part again. Maybe you can share a little bit. I do know that because there are many hospitality groups that are listed, they do cite higher costs through higher insurance costs, increased training costs, higher wage pressures, now very persistent inflation through everything, right? Everything costs more. How's the industry dealing with this? Are there any winners in this or is everybody going to be a relative loser? Unfortunately, there are no winners here. We have, over the past two years, necessitated by obviously the market conditions, make significant changes to the way we operate and streamline the operations. There will be productivity gains, but they are likely to be sufficient to offset all the various cost challenges that we're facing today. Will market rates go up? I think it depends on how fast the borders will open and how the demand will pick up in a short to medium term. I think it's too early to call the game. It's pretty tough. You can see from everywhere else. I think this is not a phenomenon that's only affecting the hospitality industry. All right, I've got two rapid-fire questions for you. You just need to answer yes, no, you know, what's all like these one-word answers. First rapid-fire question, okay. Which year will things go back to pre-pandemic? Just make a guess. 2023. 2023, wow, next year, okay. 12 months from today, how much more or less will it cost for a hotel stay? All else remaining constant, just percentage terms. 10% more, 10% less. 
we would like to give you the same price as far as we can. <laughs> well, that's great. So zero. So it's going to cost the same. So in conclusion, I think overall health and industry is still pretty precarious. Quite a lot of micromanagement pretty much needed. Management, of course, is of preeminent for people like yourself. I do really hope that there will be no more need for a right-sizing of staff because that's really affecting many of um, you know, people's livelihoods. But in general, I think you do sound quite enthusiastic, right? Anticipating that next year we'll go back to pre-pandemic and the group trying to give its really, really premium offering at the same prices we have today. So ladies and gentlemen, that's all we have time for today. Kong Leong, thank you so much for joining me today. On behalf of all our colleagues at Julius Bear, thank you for coming. And for our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Goodbye, stay safe. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Bear. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Bear, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbear.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. The podcast content is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer, a recommendation or an invitation by or on behalf of Julius Baer to buy or sell any securities, security-based derivatives or other products or to participate in any particular trading strategy in any jurisdiction. Julius Baer does not accept liability for any loss arising from the use of the podcast content. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.